0: Hebrews chapter 1, this is a Christmas-themed message, but out of the book of Hebrews. I'm going to talk about the incarnation tonight. Incarnation, the fancy word for God becoming a man. And that is the Christmas story. But Hebrews chapter 1 will be in verses 1 through chapter 2, verse 4. If you like to title your messages in your notes, Tonight's title is The Sun Still Speaks. The Sun Still Speaks. We're going to talk about why Jesus came into the world, why Christmas happened. And we're going to read verses 1 through 4. We'll pray, and then we'll begin to talk. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways Spoken time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us tonight, Lord, that your word would come alive, and uh, as we've all had a pretty dark year this year, that we remember that there is always light, ready to shine in the darkness. Every time that your word is opened, our lives themselves can be illuminated. And so we pray, Lord, kind of similar to Elijah on the Battle of Mount Carmel, that you would come down and you would show that you are God to the people that are doubting, skeptical, or just people that need to re- remember tonight that you are a real and living God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Something that's unique about Christianity, apart from all the other religions, is the fact that it's a relationship, not a religion. It's not a system of beliefs that you just kind of accept them, believe these different premises and the conclusion, and that's it. But we engage with a personal God. That's unlike Islam. In Islam, God does not love everybody. Even in the Quran, chapter three, verse 32, says, surely Allah does not love the unbelievers. Does that sound like the God of the Bible? No. Listen, no no disrespect. I'm just telling you the facts. In one religion, you have Islam saying that God does not love everybody. But in John chapter three, verse 16, in the Bible, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So one belief system says, hey, listen, if you don't believe in God, God doesn't love you. God's not for you. But in Christianity, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even the people that put Jesus to death on the cross, Jesus loved them to the end. It's also unlike in Catholicism. Not to say that some Catholics can't be saved, but if you're following the logical outworking of the religion of the Catholic church, you have not just Jesus that you pray to, but you have an elevated Mary and saints. And so the kind of picture is, Jesus is kind of busy up there. He's got a lot to worry about. So why don't you pray to these other guys, like the saints and, and, and Mary and be able to engage with them and they'll be able to, we have a saint for this and a saint for, for that and different problems and issues that you deal with. And it seems practical, but here's the problem. Each one of those people puts you one step farther away from the living God. Then of course, in Hinduism, it's pantheism, which means that God is in all and God is all. But if God is all, then God is nothing in particular. And once again, it's an abstraction. God is this mystical, different other creature out there that we can never engage with but Christianity it's very different and I suggest to you that considering this past year there's nothing more important than hearing God's voice going forward in 2020 or 2021. As we turn the corner finishing out this year and going into the next one don't you think that our priority should be hearing from the real personal God who's reaching out to you and to me. But before we consider the question, if God is speaking right now, we first have to ask ourselves the question, has God ever spoken in times past? Maybe you are a little skeptical of whether or not God is real and he wants to speak and have a relationship with you today. And all we have to do is look backwards and say, well, has God shown up in history and has he done something? Has he sent us a message in history? See, that's important because if I wanted to convince you of, say, the atomic bomb is powerful, I could give you all the facts, I could give you all the statistics and details, but if you've never heard of it before, you've never seen it demonstrated before, it's hard for you to really understand, comprehend the power of an atomic bomb but we have seen the damage in history. We have video footage. And so now we can understand. Even when it comes to a pandemic, I mean, it really isn't a new thing that we have films and movies about pandemics. And now people look backwards and see, wow, maybe this is all part of a plot because they made these movies and Bill Gates talked about and and all these different people talked about Possibly, but it's also possible that it's hard to really understand the power of something, unless you've seen it demonstrated. So the question is, has God spoken in time past? Well, verse one says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers, by who? It says right here, the prophets. See, all I'm doing right here is, I'm not telling you what I think, I'm telling you what the Bible says. And it says that God used prophets as his mouthpiece to give his message. A prophet is just this, one who speaks on God's behalf. That doesn't always mean telling the future, but oftentimes it would because that is what differentiates God from every other being in the universe, including Satan or angelic beings. Only God knows the future. I think Satan's really smart and he can probably estimate what's gonna happen, but only God knows for sure what's gonna happen in the future. And so if you were in time past, a mouthpiece of God, God's representative to give his message, a prophet, here was the criteria. If you misspoke at all, you were to be killed. That's how strict it was. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20 says, the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. It's a pretty high standard, right? Very different than what you see by so-called prophets today. They prophesy something. Some of you may remember the guys that predicted the end of the world, the Mayan calendar and all those different things. Those people are still alive today. Well, one of them is dead actually, but most of those people are still alive today. Those consequences don't, don't exist. But in their culture, all those years ago, it was, you were held to that strict of a standard because if you misspoke, you were representing God and people would be deceived thinking that God is telling a lie, but God cannot lie. So, but then here's the question. Well, how would you even know if they're telling a lie or not? How would you know if they're speaking the truth? Well, prophets oftentimes would give two prophecies, one that was near for fulfillment and one that was afar off. And the prophecy that would happen to be fulfilled near, gave you assurance that the prophecy would also be fulfilled from afar. This is why Jeremiah the prophet prophesied about the captivity of Jerusalem. And you see, you know, many of you, even if you're not Christians, you may have seen like in Hobby Lobby, Jeremiah 29, twenty nine eleven says, "For I know the thoughts I think towards you," says the Lord, "thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you future and hope." You may have heard that before, right? It's it's on coffee mugs and everything. The verse before that is a prophecy. And here's what the prophet Jeremiah said on behalf of God. Thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, etc. So you get the point. But it was prophesied before it happened that they would be in captivity by the Babylonians, that's specific, for 70 years. And that played out exactly to the year. And because that prophecy was fulfilled, then you have prophecies like in the book of Daniel, someone who was in captivity. Daniel was reading the book of Jeremiah and says, okay, so how long is this this going to last for 70 years? Okay, so when this is over, I know that things are going to be okay. So he just kind of like waited it out. And during that time of captivity, then Daniel had prophecies about the coming kingdoms. Some of you may know in Daniel chapter two, where there's this dream Nebuchadnezzar has of this golden statue or head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze and legs of iron with feet of iron and clay, representing the four world empires that have currently existed. But at that time, it did not exist. Babylon was the first world empire, but the one to come after it was the empire of the Medes and Persians. Then after that was to be Greece. And after that was to be Rome. And since then, there has not been yet another fifth world empire. So I know historical details can get you a little lost here. The point is, and if you're really interested, read the book of Daniel. If you ever want to see clear cut proof of prophetical fulfillment in history, just read the book of Daniel. Nobody will deny that Daniel was written pre-Alexander the Great, yet talks about him in in chapter eight of the book of Daniel. Daniel which is pretty crazy. So it talks about, yeah, I'm not going into it because it's a long thing. But um, I mean, it's not like the spooky, mystical, weird thing. It's there in the Bible. So people are always confused. and like, well, I guess Daniel must have been written after Alexander the Great because how could that happen? It's not true. It's not, it's not possible. But then we know as believers, it is possible because God was using this to say, hey, I'm real. I exist and I want to speak to you. And so these prophets, once again, would have a prophecy near and also far. One prophecy, another one that is historically prior to Jesus, is a prophecy about Jesus. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, I can't pronounce this word. Apratha. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So, I mean, no Jew's gonna deny that Micah predates Jesus, yet it talks about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And there are many other prophecies like that. I'm just giving you one. I'm not using this to like hinge all of Christianity on this one prophecy. I'm just giving you a sample because we need to talk about other things tonight. The point is, All these prophecies were fulfilled and then they would cast one off afar so that those who lived in the future times could look back and say, if God was speaking then and speaking about our current time, then we can have hope and expectation for the future. Prophecy is God's signature. It's the sign that he wants to communicate to us. And prophecy often entails... Two different things. Number one, judgment. Judgment. You're looking around at the world and you're wondering who in the world, who's going to take care of the sex trafficking issue? Who's going to stop the rape? Who's going to stop the injustice towards minority communities? Who's going to stop this, this um, completely unjust legal system where people who just care about winning and incarcerating people, and getting numbers behind their belt, who's going to put a stop to those people? Who are going to hold the people in charge of the injustice system? Who's going to hold them to justice? And the answer is God will. And so there are times that nations themselves, because of their perpetual wickedness, were given a time frame. And they were given hundreds and hundreds of years to repent. And when they would not, they would be destroyed. God is just. And listen, if that kind of scares you, that's like, God would destroy a nation? But you and I have that inside of us all the time, right? We look at injustice and we say, how is nobody doing anything about this? That's why we protest. That's why there's riots. Because of the outrage of how people could be so blind to the fact that people are being manipulated and hurt. And God says, I'm the ultimate judge. I see not just the outside, I don't just see the video cam footage. I see the heart. He knows all things. And so here, here's the scary part, okay? On the outside, you and I may look like we're doing great. I donate to this charity and I do this and I volunteer on, on the side. But then God looks at your heart and says, but you only did that because you want to get the attention of that person. You only did that because you want people to look at you and think that you're awesome. God knows your heart. He knows my motivations, my intentions. He knows my wickedness. And he would hold me accountable too, except for the fact that God has given us a way out of judgment, and that is by his own sacrifice. Jesus Christ came into our world, became a man, lived a perfect life, lived righteously so that you and I could be forgiven. And not forgiven like you and I usually forgive people, Like, I forgive you, and don't ever talk to me ever again. That's my forgiveness. Like, I I won't kill you. Just don't look at me ever again in your life. But he forgives and then wants a relationship with us. And his relationship isn't like this. (sighs) Didn't I tell you that, like, I would forgive you, and you just could never do that particular sin ever again? And here you are, confessing again. No. God forgives He's faithful to forgive, not just past, present, but also future sins. You have a blank slate. It's been said that when you're justified, it's like just as if I'd never sinned. That's how God views you when you believe on him. But prophecy was often about judgment. And by the way, nations were forgiven if they repented. Remember the book of Jonah? Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, a wicked nation, Assyrians, beheading people that, that um, were part of opposing nations, and then would take their heads and put them on stakes, and they would surround their entire city so that when nations come, they would see all these beheaded people. That was Nineveh. And yet they repented, and God forgave them. So God is merciful, God is gracious way more gracious than I or you would be. And he always gives an opportunity. But the question is, have you hardened your heart towards God? Have you rejected the only way to be forgiven? So prophecy was about judgment, but also about the way out, a Messiah, a savior, Jesus Christ. And so we would have two things happen. A desire for justice, desire for judgment, and also hopeful expectation. That's where we are right now, right? We're looking at the world and just like, what is wrong with people? What is wrong with our nation? Why are we so divided? And you desire for justice and you desire to be saved. You have a desire and a hope that God himself will intervene and bring peace. This is what we want now. And Just as in times past, he fulfilled his word by the prophets, today, in your hearing of this scripture, he is now, verse two, in these last days, spoken to us by his son. I love that. No longer is he just sending representatives, prophets, but he has given himself, he has come down to give the message himself through Jesus Christ. So contrary to popular opinion, we don't have prophets anymore. Not in that sense. Contrary to when you see that Kenneth Copeland video of him like, blow on COVID-19, you know, that you've probably seen that video. He's not a prophet. So when he talks about the future and starts predicting and people talk about Donald Trump and their predictions, their prophecies, and they're like in these prayer trances, no. But we don't need prophets because we have Jesus Christ we have the son of God. So we have something bare. That's what Christmas is all about. That God became man and he dwelt among us and we could behold his glory, the glory as of the only begotten son. And so we have this hopeful expectation that one day everything will be made right. All the injustice will be corrected. Every problem will be fixed. No more sin, no more death. No more fear, no more terror. That's what heaven is all about. But, and, and I was talking to somebody about this this past week, heaven is such, such an abstract idea that sometimes you get a little scared of heaven, right? Just eternity, what does that look like? What does heaven look like? And then you have all these like weird conceptions that heaven's going to be like singing. Pastors do this too, not me, but they'll be like, it's like we're going to be singing worship songs forever. I mean, that sounds terrible, You know, like it's the same worship song. It's, you know, it's like Chris Tomlin's song. Forever, God is faithful. And like singing it forever. Love endures forever. And like, we're really singing this forever? Yes, forever. You know, like that does not sound like heaven. Well, if you ever get afraid about heaven, you're wondering what is heaven like? Don't ask that question. Instead ask, what is Jesus like? Because heaven is just being in the presence of Jesus. Well, what is Jesus like? Well, when, he, when he was here, I mean, he, he cared for the needy. He cared for the poor. He healed the blind and the sick and the lame. And he preached the good news. He gave us hope. What is Jesus like? Heaven is being in perfect relationship and in the presence of him. And it's not taking place in some abstract world out there. He's coming to renew this earth, this world. He's coming back here. And he wants to make all things new. So that's better. That's better than these abstract ideas of something out there, some different dimension. But God with us. So my children, I have four in case you didn't know. uh, In the middle of the night, Probably every other night, they have nightmares. When they have a nightmare, they wake me up. And what they don't want when they're afraid is for me to say, you know what? I'm just going to take my courage, and I'm going to give it to you. And here it is. You don't have to be afraid anymore. They don't want me to give them a pep talk about, here are all the reasons why your fears are illogical. What they want is for me to be in the room. They want me to show up. They want me to check underneath the bed to see if there's any monsters there. And God, when he comes into your life, it's not like he gives you this power. Like, I live in fear. I just need God to give me courage. And then he goes, okay, just wrap up this little present called courage. Boom. And like, I instantly feel courageous. Don't you want God to be there in the room? Don't you want Jesus to go with you? And that's what you get. You have his presence with you, which means that you never really go through 2020 alone. You may live by yourself. You may be single, but you're not alone. Not if God's with you. There's no place, like the psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the depths of hell, even there, you are there. He wants to strengthen you, but he wants to be with you, So here's, here's a good question. What's the difference between Jesus and a prophet? Well, let's go through the list that Hebrews itself provides. Difference between Jesus and a prophet is, is number one, verse two. Whom he has appointed heir of all things. So that's, that's one thing. No prophet was an heir of all things, right? So how will this transform your outlook on life? Well, you may have a roommate or maybe a brother or sister that you live with, and there are certain things that are yours and there are certain things that are theirs. They have responsibilities. You clean up your area. You don't leave clothes on my floor. You have rules, right? But things that are yours are your responsibility to take care of. And what Jesus is saying here is he's the heir of all things. Everything is his. Everything is his responsibility, And nothing's really yours. So the next time that you're worried about your finances, saying, I'm still on unemployment. I have no idea how I'm going to make this work going forward. Or at least maybe I can make ends meet now, but I can't have a family like this. Well, I have good news for you. It's not yours. It's not your money. It's not your job. It's Jesus' job. And he gave it to you. He's borrowing it to you. Next time you get a traffic ticket, and only $400... I mean, it's not your money anyway. Why does it matter? Like, well, I don't have money to pay the bills. That's God's problem, not yours. He is the heir of all things. He inherited your problems. Next time that you're worried about your brother, your sister, your friend, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, and they're falling away from Jesus even, whose child are they? Not my child. Hopefully not your child either. That's God's child. It's his responsibility to chase after them. It's his responsibility to parent them, to love them, and yes, even discipline them if need be. It's almost like if you're um, hopefully not speeding, but you're just crossing state borders, right? And then the police officer technically, I guess, couldn't really prosecute you in a different state. Well, Jesus could prosecute you in any state because everything's his, there's no place that you can go in this life that is not God's, which means you can take every care, every worry, every problem, every situation, and you can always give it back to him. Anywhere you go, you go to the middle of nowhere. I've been to the middle of nowhere. I've been to El Paso, Texas in the desert at night. There's no street lights whatsoever. And you look up and you see the sky and there's stars everywhere. That's all God's. Even the land that we have not discovered yet, the depths of the sea that no one's been to, that is all Jesus's. It's his possession. He's the heir of all things. Also says in verse 2, through whom also he made the worlds. So, what does that mean? Well, no prophet has made the world, by the way, but Jesus did, which means that he knows how it works. And he knows how to fix it when it's broken. This is why people were desperate to get their sick friends to Jesus. Four friends that were so desperate to get their friend who was a, a cripple to Jesus that they actually cut a hole in the roof and lowered him down so that Jesus could heal him. Because they knew. Whatever the problem is, Jesus knows how to fix it. He's the one who built him in the first place. You may have a situation, I may have a situation as a pastor. People come up to me with their problems and sometimes I have no idea what to say. And then I remember, I don't have to know the answer because someone does and it's Jesus. And my job is not to give you my wisdom and my you know, expertise. It's to just get you to Jesus. He's the healer. He's the great physician. He's the one that can fix all things. But it also means that since he knows how it works, he's also the one to whom we submit our lives, our dreams, our hopes, our aspirations, the way that we view relationships as we talk about this in January. Instead of relying on our own wisdom, ingenuity, strategy, we're gonna say, since God designed marriage, I bet you that he knows how it works best. Since God designed relationships, and it's a picture of Christ in the church, he probably is the person that we should be listening to when it talks about things like sex outside of marriage because he knows how it works. Verse three, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. No prophet was the express image of Jesus's person. Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land because he misrepresented God. When he was told to strike the rock once and then speak to the rock the second time, he struck the rock a second time, taking his anger out on it. And God says, you represented me and you show the people or you made it seem to the people that I'm an angry God, that I'm angry for no reason. You can't enter the promised land because Moses was misrepresenting God he was not allowed to enter. But Jesus wasn't like that, which means that you will have imperfect leaders in this world. God forbid that I do something stupid, right? And I misrepresent God and I disqualify myself from leadership. I pray not, I hope not, but who knows? That didn't sound really hopeful, right? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Savannah. The point being, You will have leaders in this life that will fail you, okay? Everyone paying attention to this. This is really important. You will have leaders in in this life that will fail you. Carl Lentz failed a lot of people. But at the end of the day, Jesus Christ will never fail you. If you want to look at what what God looks like, don't look at Carl Lentz. Look at Jesus Christ. Don't dismiss Christianity because of what a human leader does. Sadly, a lot of people misrepresent him, but we always have to bring it back to who is God? How do I maintain that relationship with him? Also in verse three, and upholding all things by the word of his power. He holds all things together. People talk about what is this mysterious force that keeps all the atoms sticking together? Why don't they just blow apart? Well, so far the Bible tells us that he upholds all things by the word of his power. And if not just with the atoms, he sustains me on the days that I feel like I just want to give up. Have you ever felt that too? Maybe you forgot about that. The days that you're just like, I can't get up. I'm not going to work. I don't think I can do this today. He sustains us by the word of his power. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30 says, Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's true. Even my three-year-old Tatum, she will become weary at some point in the day, Lord willing at nap time, right? But even with those with most energy, We'll still get tired sometimes. You may feel like you're just like a workhorse. Like you you have your regimen, you have your ritual, you're on your grind, you work out all the time. Everybody burns out at some point. Everybody has their limit. But those who wait on the Lord for their strength, they will be refreshed. They will be renewed. Let Jesus sustain you. No other prophet can do that. No other person can do that. No other religious system can do that. I mean, meditation seems like a biblical practice, but people try to do it without the Bible, and here's what they run into. Mental exhaustion, because it's all about you clearing out your mind and not thinking about things. Not thinking about my problems, not thinking about my things, I'm not thinking about anything, really. You find peace for the moment, but then you enter into reality, and all your problems are out there. Same thing with smoking dope or drinking away your problems. All you're doing is pushing it a step back. How are you going to deal with them? But Jesus gives you something else. See, the peace of God is not like Jesus says. Oh, I don't really know if I can handle that situation. I mean, that I really thought I was going to be able to help you out, but like that is a pretty big deal. Like you lost your job in 2020. That's a big deal. Your friends left you. I don't know about that one. But Jesus, when He gives you the peace that surpasses understanding, like the Bible says. It doesn't matter what you face in this life. Some of the people who have gone through the, the biggest hardship that I know personally have the strongest relationship with Jesus because the peace of God is not so weak that it needs perfect circumstances to work. But you can trust God and no matter what you face, he is with you and sustains you by the word of his power. Continue in verse three when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So what does that mean? Well, this is referring to what he did on the cross. He died on the cross for you and for me. He didn't do this by accident. He didn't go, oh no, totally messed up. I was supposed to like be a king. And then they just crucify me. Oh, oh well, the whole plan is foiled. He did that on purpose. He allowed himself to die, to be tortured, so that you and I could be set free of all of our sins, all of our wrongdoing, be forgiven. Justice is done because Jesus took the punishment for our sins. And it says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What does that mean? That means his work is done. He's sitting, he's not standing out at of tension. He's not walking around saying, have so much to do. He's done. It's over. And so many of us, when we're thinking about our sin, we're still thinking that something has to be done. It has been done. It's past tense. The question is, will you recognize it for what it is? A finished work that you are forgiven. Not coming up to Jesus again and again saying, I'm so sorry, will you please forgive me? As if you have to convince him. He was convinced even before you were born, even before you knew him, he died for you. It's already been made. So the question is in order to have your sins forgiven, there is a condition. Have you believed on Jesus? Have you given up, surrendered, and said, I can't do this on my own? I can't live life by myself. I can't try to be a good person, try to change myself. I need to believe in the only one who was perfect. And Romans 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel. And verse four, this leads to having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, angels, remember, is the word messenger. An angel's job was to deliver a message. And the writer of Hebrews is basically saying, Jesus is not just a messenger. He's not just a spirit that just became a man, but he is God. And he has become so much better than any other messenger that's ever existed. As he has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they, his reputation, his brand. And we think about, in our world, things that have a really powerful, prestigious name or reputation. Think about your favorite brands, right? I love Perfect Bars, that they're amazing. I have a chat on Perfect Bars because they're the best protein bar in the universe. They're called Perfect Bars for a reason. Nutritious and chewy, and they taste like, if you could just take like creamy peanut butter and then honey and chocolate chips, that's exactly what they're like, they're perfect. Jesus probably would have eaten perfect bars, I would assume, if he was alive today. Um, They have a reputation. So their name fits. In Jewish culture, you were given a name that was to be prophetic of who you were. So this is why Jesus gave Peter his name Peter. He was Simon, given the name Peter. Peter mean rock. He says, you are sturdy. You're going to be sturdy one day. Even though Peter was the one who was going, like, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I don't even know who that guy is. You know, like he just flip-flopped all the time. And Jesus says, you're going to be a rock. So to be given an excellent name, the name of Jesus means something. His reputation precedes him. The name Emmanuel, God with us. The name Jesus means God saves. That is the name. That is the reputation that God has. And that name has power. There's no other name that you can call on that would save you. I'm not talking about the English word Jesus, right? And you am like, oh no, I should have said Jesus because it's Spanish or something. Like the name Jesus, the person behind that name, that is the name above every other name. That is the name that makes demons tremble. That is the name that has power to set you free of whatever it is that you're going through. And at any point in time in your life, if you ever feel like you're struggling you're hurting, you can call on his name, and he will meet you. Lastly, let's let's look at verse one of chapter two. We'll be closing here. So, chapter two, verse one. Therefore, well, let me just kind of fill you on what happened. So he, he quotes a couple of different psalms talking about how Jesus is better than angels and stuff. He does this all throughout the book of Hebrews. Jesus is the better high priest. He's better, better than the angels. You know, he kind of goes on in Hebrews to appeal to the Jewish mind of the person who says, well, Jesus is probably just a prophet. He's probably just a teacher or whatever. But chapter two, I think most of you guys got that. Verse one, he says, therefore, we must give the most earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. He says, we have to pay attention to the things that we're hearing. Like the thing we just talked about tonight you probably at some point were just like, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. I forgot about like God with us. Yep, Jesus is with me anywhere I go. I sing the song, I forgot about it. And then we start to drift away. And he says, we got to pay attention. We need to remember the things that we have heard lest we drift away. Psalm 119 verse 97 says, Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies for they are my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers for I'm always thinking of your laws. I'm even wiser than my elders for I've kept your commandments. I refuse to walk on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. We know that God's word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. If you ever wanna find out what the right thing to do is, just follow Jesus and stay in his word. And if you're ever feeling lost, chances are you don't read the Bible. But the more that we stay in this book and we meet with him, the more that we may not know the future. We're not prophets, but we know today God's with me. If God is with me, who can be against me? What do I have to worry about? He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. I don't have to be easily moving or shaken. I have Jesus and that's all I need. And we forget that, that's when you drift away. Why? Because you have to figure it out. How do I make this work? How do, I, how do I figure out my life's problems? And then you become so busy about everything else. Verse two of chapter two. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received the just reward. So he's saying like, If in times past with prophets, every time that there is a pronouncement, a prophecy, it came true, and if people weren't listening, they were judged. Verse three, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Be careful because we are at an amazing privileged vantage point in history. 2,000 years ago, people could say, well, I don't really know if God, you know, Jesus is God and things like that. But for us, we have all of history. We're on this side of the resurrection. It's not just listening to a prophet. We have Jesus Christ himself who's become a man, shown up in history, And so the question is, are we going to continue to ignore that, neglect that, play dumb? I don't really know. Who can really know these things, you know? I was talking to a friend of mine who's not a believer, and we were talking about everything that's happening, coronavirus, you know, typical, like, everybody's divided on the issues of you know, conspiracy theory, it's not conspiracy theory, whatever. So we're just talking about those things and he was so adamant in his position, I won't tell you what it is, but his position, so adamant, people need to do the research and they need to look into these things. And, and so I said, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but you're really adamant about research. Have you ever thought about researching the question of God and whether he exists and Jesus? Well, I don't know if people can really know that stuff. So like, well, <laughs> do you see like the, Like on one side, you're so adamant, like people need to know these things, but people really don't need to know those things. Which is more important? Life on this earth or life in eternity? Which is more important? Whether or not this person wins the election or the God of the universe exists and wants to communicate a message to you that you can be forgiven of all your sins. What's more important? But many people have that position of just, well, I don't really know if people can know. I don't have the time. I'm really busy. I don't really want to look into these things. If this is true, and what I'm saying to you is true, that Jesus Christ is real, that the Christmas story is true, that it's not just a weird coincidence that people base our entire calendar system on the fact that a person was born who happened to be God. If all that's true, then be very careful that you don't neglect the most amazing opportunity to have your life transformed forever. Don't neglect such a great salvation. In conclusion, I wanna ask you three questions. You can write these down or you can keep them in the back of your mind. We do have a podcast. You can subscribe to that or go on our website, gradientya.com. Here are the three questions. Number one. Do you know what Jesus is saying right now? Do you know what Jesus is saying? A lot of you know that I have a journal in the back of my Bible here. Every year, I just kind of try to discern like, what is God speaking to me for 2020, for 2021? Just give me a word, you know? I have little columns, all the things that, like I never claim saying, thus saith the Lord, but I'm always like, Maybe this is what God is saying to me at this moment. So I have a column of like, what I think God is saying to me. Do you know what Jesus is saying to you right now? Number two, do you know what Jesus is doing? Do you know what Jesus is doing? I find it hard to believe that God is looking at America and standing back and watching and eating popcorn. He is working in people's lives. He is doing things behind the scenes. Are you involved in God's work, sharing his good news, helping people out of sin, their misery, caring for the orphans and widows and their needs? Are you involved in what Jesus is doing? And number three, do you know where Jesus is going? Do you know where Jesus is going? Are you on the journey with Jesus to follow him wherever he takes you, wherever he leads getting you involved in things that you never dreamed of or thought of because you're like just listening to your master and just, I'm a servant. He says to go that way, so I'm going. The perfect picture is like when the people of Israel are leaving Egypt out of slavery, going into the wilderness, and it says that they will follow follow him by a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. Like God's presence would be a cloud by day and a fire by night. And sometimes that pillar would just sit there for a week or two weeks or a month, and they would stay there. And every time that it would start moving again, they would follow. Because sometimes you wonder the question of like, how do I know if I'm supposed to take a leap of faith or just wait on the Lord? Because every other sermon is contradictory. The passage is like, man, you just got to like take a step, a step of faith, believe in Jesus and do it. And you're like, yeah. And then the next message is, don't do anything without making sure that you're waiting on the Lord and like, ah, okay, I was going to move to California now I'm going to wait for something. How do you know? The answer is you stay in this book. You know his voice. And when he says to stay, stay. And when he says to go, go. But you need to know where God is going and if you're on the journey to follow him. And if you're not a believer in Jesus tonight, I want to give you an invitation to do that it might take you on this crazy, fearful, weird journey, right? Because you don't know exactly where you're going to end up. But here's something I can guarantee you. You will never look back and regret. I've never once followed Jesus. And like, even though it's been hard, even though there's been crazy things that have happened, suffering and, and whatever, there's never been a time that I thought like, man, why did I do this? Why did I decide to read the Bible? Why did I decide to help people, you know? You have a relationship with God. And that's the thing the other religions can't give you. Other faith systems can't give you. A God who loves you. That can supply the ability, the energy, the steadfastness to get through anything else, including what happens in 2021. Let's pray.